So what I want to, to hopefully have you walk out today with is the idea that this psalm is creating rest in our hearts. And that's uh, something that we need in our anxiety-filled life. But before we unpack that a little bit, we're going to, uh, uh, I want to give just a few textual comments uh, on, on this uh, um, passage. So verses 1 and 2, it seems pretty obvious, be at peace, um, God is in charge, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain, so be at peace, God is in charge, but there's a sub-theme underneath this. And that theme is anxiety and stress are created when we try to be in charge. So that's the the sub-theme, verses 1 and 2. Verse 2 says, For he gives to his beloved sleep. Or he, in in the Hebrew, uh, and Calvin makes a great point, he says in the Hebrew, this could equally and as accurately be translated He will give in sleeping. So it kind of harkens back to Mark 4.26, the story of the sower. And the sower is scattering seed, and he, he goes to sleep, and he rises, and he goes to sleep, and he rises. And the seed sprouts, but the farmer does not know how. God is in control and the farmer, the sower, is at rest. It's, it's a great relationship because uh, rest is a state of the heart. When someone says, how are you? And you can, they're asking, how is your heart? Is it at rest? Is it at peace? And uh, it's, a, it's a great relationship that God has with us. Now, my one, of, and it doesn't mean that you have to be working or uh, at rest or, you know, heart rate low and Fitbit is low. What it means is that you can be active and lots of things going on, but your heart is still at rest. My favorite uh, example of this is when I'm cutting the grass, my heart is at rest. Now, I don't know how God grows the grass, but it's a great relationship. He grows it, I cut it. It's, it's simple, it's clean, and it's restful for me. I don't have to think a whole lot about that. Verses 3 through 5. So 1 and 2, be at peace, God is in charge. Verses 3 through 5 talks about a, it, it seems like all of a sudden we jump from unless the Lord builds his house down to, now we're talking about children. And what really it seems like a disconnect, but it's not a disconnect. What it is, is an illustration of verses 1 and 2. So, where he talks about children, I think we have 3 through 5, the slide for 3 through 5, maybe not. So, the children are, um, um, is talking about the children and how feel your quiver full and, uh, uh, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah, okay, well, that's good. All right, so not a disconnect, but an illustration of verses 1 and 2. In Hebrew, 
Reward is sakar. I think I'm pronouncing that right, sakar, which carries the idea of a benefit bestowed by God. And heritage is meant to reinforce this idea that children are not, as Calvin calls it, just the fruit of chance, but God's will. And the whole point here is that Solomon is trying to drive home, the writer of this psalm, he's trying to drive home that both these words are set in opposition to the strength or the will of the individual. We may think we're going to have children, but really God is in charge of that. And so it's just be at peace. God is in charge. Even with our children, God is in charge. So I want to give three implications to draw out this sense of God creating rest in our hearts. Three implications to help draw out this. Um, The first implication is to the Jewish pilgrims there and then. The second implication is to us here and now. And the third implication is for us there and then, meaning our future home and the new earth and the new heaven. Okay. So what did this text mean to the Jewish pilgrims? Let's go back to that. The Psalms of Ascent, like Phil mentioned last week, were in a sense traveling songs. There's 15 of them. And in Deuteronomy 16, 16, there's three annual festivals, unleavened bread, weeks, and the tabernacle. So three times a year at least, they would go to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is on a plateau. And it's kind of funny because it reminded me of uh, the Acropolis in Athens. And there's a big hill kind of, and, and Jerusalem is like this, and on top of that is the temple. Now, in this temple is where God resided, and he filled this place with his glory. And so they were going to this place, and they, they were, the songs that they would sing were celebratory. They were climactic. And there was a sense of anticipation as they were marching along. We're going up to the celebration. And much like we sing our Christmas carols, in a sense, we, we anticipate Christmas Day. And all the songs are about Christmas Day. And they were marching up to uh, the temple for this celebration. And they were looking forward to it. And it built community. And it built unity. And it built excitement. But it was also sort of like revival. Now, I'm from a Southern Baptist background, and I have made the covenantal leap to the PCA. But we, we would have seasons, and might, there might be some PCA churches that do this, Phil, I'm not quite sure, but uh, we would have a week of revival. And that means you, you brought in a special speaker, and there was a big buildup to it. But the thing was, is you knew you were going to hear some serious preaching that week. You bring your friends, bring your family, pack the pew, because it's going to get down with power in the pew and in the pulpit. And so it was something to look forward to. But something that every revival I noticed was they always preached the basics. It was the basics of the faith that sometimes we've forgotten, or they were so simple that they kind of escaped from us. And the, the, the evangelist or the revivalist would bring that back into focus, into clear focus for us. And, and in a sense, these songs, these, this psalm of ascent would do this as they were singing, would bring back the basics um, 
No matter, and so as they were singing, no matter how bad the crops were, no matter what the internal struggles were within the village that they came from, it was all aside now because we were going up to the temple. And God was always in the temple in Zion, in control ultimately of all these things. So this psalm was asking them, there and then, Are you letting God be in charge? Are you resting in that? And as they were going, in a sense, they were singing, Yes, God is in charge. He's so in charge that unless He builds the house, the workers labor in vain. We can rest. He's so in charge that unless the Lord's watching over the city, the watchmen watch it in vain. We can rest. He's so in charge that even our children are from him alone and he can make them good so that they can stand with you in court we can rest we can rest so the implications for us here and now are very similar again the real question this psalm is asking us today is are we resting in God's care for us Are we resting in God's care for rest? So rest sometimes goes away, at least in my life. It goes away and anxiety and stress come in. When I tend to, and I think a lot of people tend to forget at least two things. We can forget a lot of things, but here's two of them that we can forget in particular. One is outside forces, and the other is inside forces. Let's look at the outside forces. We, we forget the spiritual battles that rage around us. We forget sometimes that, that we are battling against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That all of us right now have keys in our pocket. And we know that that signifies that we live in a fallen world. Because if we did not, then we would not need keys to lock things up to keep intruders and people who are fallen out of our cars, out of our safes, out of our homes. We live in a fallen world. We also battle the flesh and the devil. Temptations come to us. And not being aware of what these things are or that they are there They tend to create anxiety because we forget that we really are spiritual beings living in a fallen world full of lots of things against us. Lots of things against us. It equals no rest. So when we forget the battles raging around us, the world, the flesh, the devil, when we forget that, anxiety and stress can come rest leaves us. The second thing is the internal, internal forces. And I want to spend a little bit more time on this. We forget eternity. I've just almost finished reading a book by Paul Tripp called um, Forever, Why You Can't Live Without It. It's a great book. Great book. And uh, the premise is that we are hardwired, hardwired for forever. But we have eternal amnesia. 
we have eternal amnesia, or te- I shouldn't say eternal, eternity amnesia. We have eternity amnesia. And what does that mean? Well, for example, we have forgotten so much that we are eternal beings that we have come to accept that death is a natural part of life. No, it's not. Death is not a natural part of life. Death is a result of the fall. It's not the way it was designed to be. Death is not natural. When we see our loved ones sick or dying, there's something inside of us that wells up. There's tears. There's emotions. When, when people aren't living like we would hope they would live, there, there's tears, there's emotion, there's frustration. Why? Because something is wrong. It's not right. It's not the way it was designed to be. And I want to tell you, you are right. It's not. We are eternal beings, and death has no part of that. But it does now. But it does now. But we forget that. We forget that. So a great point by uh, Paul Tripp that I stole from him. Death is not natural. It's just an example of how we are so sometimes forget so much eternity that we are eternal beings. And he gives a list of consequences of this eternal amnesia, eternity amnesia. I'm going to, a few of those are, we live with unrealistic expectations. We focus too much on ourselves. We ask too much of others. We are often controlled and be, we're, we, we are controlling and fearful. We question the goodness of God. We, we are living more disappointed than thankful. And we're, we lack motivation and hope. And we're living as if life does not have any consequences. Eternity amnesia. We hang our hopes. We have a tendency in this life to hang our hopes on other things. Our looks, our weight, our clothes our careers, our budget. We hang our hopes. We put what should be the hope of Christ and we place it on this and say, satisfy me. Scratch my itch. Make me happy. If I marry this person, then all my dreams will come true. And I will be happy and blissful forever. We place unrealistic expectations upon our spouses and our children. And oftentimes, the inside forces and the outside forces, they work together. Unfortunately, they work together. The world, the flesh, and the devil uh, take advantage of our eternity amnesia. And it can be just a catastrophe. Let me give you an example. The, uh, not too long ago, Caroline and I were, well, we were just torn up. We were emotionally torn up. And there was something going on in our lives that just was getting the best of us. We couldn't sleep. It was uh, just affecting our moods. And we were just broken and hurt and torn up. 
And God was merciful to us in that he kind of pulled back the curtain a little bit. And he said, come here, let me show you something. And he kind of pulled back the curtain. And it was kind of like, there's a bunch of evil here. And they're trying to uh, rob you of your joy and your glory. And they're trying to blind you. And they want control of your life. But what you're doing is you're placing your your hope on this situation when really that hope should be hung on Christ. Should be hung on me. And so when that happened, it was just a real watershed for both me and Caroline because we were able to not let... that situation have any more control over our lives. And what happened was, every time we looked at Christ, He was stable. He was faithful. He was everything that we expected Him to be, to whereas this other situation was not. And you can apply that to a thousand things in your life. A thousand things in your life. We put our expectations on this and that and this and that, hoping that that will satisfy the itch. And what we need to do in every single one of those situations is take it off, take those unrealistic expectations off your spouse, off your parents, off your children, off your boss, off your workers, off your co-workers, off your family members, and place it on Christ. And He will meet your expectations. He will never, never let you down. So that's the implications for here and now. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Unless we hang our hopes on Christ, the anxiety will come because we're placing our hope in in places it shouldn't be. The implications, uh, the third thing is So we've talked about the implications there and then. We've talked about the implications for here and now. And finally, we've talked about the implications for there and then very quickly. And that is that as we see God, see that God is building the house, He is in charge, and He can be trusted. This creates for us a rest now. It creates for us a rest And we see that our new home will be full of rest, restoration, and relationship. I didn't even try to get those three R's. It just came out naturally. Rest, restoration, and relationship. We anticipate and celebrate that inside and outside forces, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and our eternity amnesia, will be restored to us completely in our hearts. And death will be no more naturally. Let this psalm create rest in your hearts. God is in a sense saying, it's okay. I've got this. I've got this. 
take that with you wherever you go. Let's pray, and then Phil will lead us at the Lord's table. Father, it's my prayer that these, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us. As we leave, help us trust in your rest. Help us to uh, just relax that you are in charge and that that is a good thing. In Christ's name, amen.